This is the Gridley Wave Network. Hi, I'm Mike Resnick. You're listening to Dateline Jassoom, and I hope you're enjoying yourselves. Today we have an interview with science fiction author Mike Resnick, the winner of five Hugo Awards and also a Nebula Award. He's written 52 novels, a number of short stories, he's edited 45 anthologies, and he's also written nine nonfiction books. But before all that, he was a geeky fan, just like us. And in fact, he was an assistant editor at one of the all-time great Burroughs fanzines, Herbdom, which itself won a Hugo Award. So, I present to you now, Mike Resnick. All right, we're here at WindyCon with uh, science fiction author Mike Resnick. Mike, hello. Welcome to Dateline Jessum. Pleasure to be here. Mike is, of course, a world-famous science fiction author, but I wanted you to take us back a little bit to the days before all of that, when you were growing up and discovering books and discovering reading, and this is Dateline Jassoom, so I'm, I'm curious how you were first introduced to one of my favorite authors, Edgar Rice Burroughs. Well, I suspect, I, I, it's a long, long time ago, yeah. I'm, I'm nearing retirement, but I suspect I probably read some Tarzan comic books, maybe a John Carter of Mars one, and then I read the books, mm-hmm. and I became an instant fan of them. And the way we discovered uh, the world of science fiction fandom was uh, in 1962, when I was 20 years old and had just been married, I picked up one of the Burroughs reprints that Ace had just started coming out with, mm-hmm. and there was a blurb in there from somebody called Camille Casdesu out of the Reverbdom. Okay. You didn't have to be a genius to figure out ERB done yeah. that magazine about Burroughs. So I haunted all the Chicago book and magazine stores for months trying to find a copy of this, not knowing what a fanzine was. Of the fanzine. And, uh, you know, none of them could help me. None of them could find a way to order it for me. So uh, finally I wrote to Don Wolheim at Ace and asked him to forward the letter on to the editor. Mm -hmm. And that was Kaz, who sent me a few magazines, a few fanzines rather. And within about two or three months I was the assistant editor of Herbdom and I went to the very next World Con and we discovered the rest of fandom, and we found out that Chicago fandom was actually meeting 80 feet from my front door. We oh, would really? see them every third Saturday, you know, these 300-pound guys and these, these wildly skinny girls, all of them rather poorly dressed, sneaking into this apartment with tomes under their arms, and we thought they were probably members of Snick and Core, if you remember <laughs> the early 60s, and the, the tomes were, were lists of all their memberships and all the people they were going to get. Well, let, let, and it turned out it was just fandom, but we had to go to Washington, D.C., to the Worldcon to meet them. Let, let me slow you down for a second. Yeah. Was, at that time, was Kaz sort of working in a vacuum uh, as far as the rest well, of Well, Kaz was in New Orleans, yeah. and I was in, uh, or he was in Baton Rouge, actually. I was in Chicago. And Kaz knew Burroughs fans, but uh, until he started going to Worldcons, I doubt that he knew anybody else. Right. When we went to our first Worldcon, we didn't know anybody but Burroughs fans, but a kindly old gentleman in a white suit saw us looking rather wan and hopeless, and he took us out to coffee and showed us around, and we didn't know for a couple of hours because he didn't have his badge on, but that was Doc Smith. He was the first fan oh, really? we ever met. Oh, really? What was, meeting, what was Doc Smith like back then? Oh, he was a sweet, sweet guy. I, we, you know, he, he certainly had no airs about him and no pretensions. 
Uh, we, we thought he was just another fan. He looked like an old guy in a good humor suit, to tell you the truth. At, at this time, were you a science fiction fan, or were you primarily a Burroughs fan? Or? Uh, I had read science fiction all my life. I, I went there mostly to meet the Burroughs people, because they were the only ones I knew. Uh, on our very first date, Carol and I uh, went to a play in Chicago, and then we went to the Morrison Coffee Shop. The hotel since been torn down, but that was where they held the 1952 Worldcon. And we talked science fiction until 5 in the morning when they threw us out so they could shut the place up. Neither of us had ever met anybody who read this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, that was back in the days when you hid your copy of Analog or Astounding on the bus uh, inside a copy of Playboy because that was more acceptable. <laughs> and it was, you know, we, we knew somebody must read it. I mean, they had yeah. to print more than two, two copies a month. Yeah. And it, it was just a revelation to meet each other. And why, then do you, why, do you think that, why do you think that was, and then second of all, I think even today, science fiction fans have a fan, uh, have a sort of a, a reputation of being geeky sometimes. And, well, they and are sort pretty geeky. The, you know, uh, the, most science fiction fans, uh, you know, they can solve all the problems of the world, but they can't put on matching socks or hold a job. <laughs> uh, somebody once asked me, uh, you know, to define fandom, the good and the bad, and I say, you know, the best thing about fandom. And if you look around you, you would see it is that it is so tolerant. Mm -hmm. And the worst thing about fandom is that it has so much to be tolerant of. Mm -hmm. And I do not say that from any, any position other than that of a fan. I'm, I've been a fan all my life. I, I haven't been a science fiction writer all my life. And we come to these things, I still hang out with fans. You know, somebody needs help hanging stuff in the art show or setting up the huckster room, I'm always there to help when you come I'm a fan. To, when you come to these cons, do you, is it more business or are you coming as a fan? Do no, the one I go to for business, and I, I line up my business for the year, and, and you barely see me, mm -hmm. is at the World Con because all the editors are there, and it's easier to go to New York five, yeah. six times a year. When I come to something like WindyCon or any of the other regional conventions, I come to just enjoy myself. Now, I'll do a little business tomorrow morning with Eric Flint because I've been doing stuff with him. We've co-edited an anthology, and we'll see what else we can do. But it'll take an hour, and one hour out of out of a four-day weekend doesn't strike me as a business weekend. Okay. All right, back to the days when you were a real fan, I mean, only yeah. a fan. Only and, a fan. And, and you were co-editor, associate editor of Herbdom. Yeah, of Herbdom. And, and yeah, we won the Hugo. We were the only fans, or Burroughs fans, never to win a Hugo. Mm -hmm. And they changed the rules after that, because back then, that was in 1966, you didn't have to be a member of the Worldcon to vote for the Hugo. Now you do, of course. Mm -hmm. And there were about five, 600 attendees back then. And Kaz had a mailing list of about 900, and all he did was send out the ballot to his whole mailing list, okay. and Herbdom won, and the next year they changed the rules. Yeah. What, what kinds of things were you doing with Herbdom at the time that was maybe different from what other fans in I don't think we were doing anything different from the Burroughs Bulletin. I think we were just doing it better. We, we, we had me, and uh, you know, I became a Hugo-winning writer. We had Neil McDonald, who became a pro artist. We had Jeff Jones, who became a top pro artist. Mm -hmm. We had John F. Roy, who was writing for all the Burroughs publications, but I always thought he saved his best stuff for Herbdom. Mm -hmm. So we, we had a pretty good crew there. Uh, we had Dick Lupoff would write for us from time to time. Another artist was Larry Ivey, who was a pro. Uh, yeah, there, there were not a lot of weak links. I mean, certainly some of the general fanzines had writers that we couldn't begin to match, but as far as the Burroughs fanzines went, uh, we, were, we were the cream of the crop. Yeah. Also, he published four or five issues a year. 
and that helped too. Uh, you know, Vern could go a long, long time without publishing when he had to, right. or when he could get away with it. And what kinds of things were you putting in those fanzines? I, I mean, what if you had sort of a a theme or a focus, or was it just sort of scattershot? Well, it, it was scattershot. Anything interesting about Burroughs? Now, I haven't opened a Burroughs fanzine in more than 30 years, so I can only remember a couple of the things. I know that the first thing I did for him was a thoroughly researched map of Barsoom, and uh, then we had one of the, the artists, I think it was Neil McDonald, draw it. And I always thought the best article ever to appear in a Burroughs fanzine appeared in Herbdom. John Roy did it on the fictional Edgar Rice Burroughs. You know, he wrote himself into so many of the yeah, stories yeah. that you could actually create a fictional biography of where he was and who right. he knew at such and such right. a date. And John did that. And, and, I, and I think that he ended up appearing in his Guide to Barsoom. Is, is uh, it may have. I, it's been so long, I don't, I don't recall. Yeah. But I borrowed from that. Uh, John Betancourt, about three years ago, began a uh, magazine called uh, Adventure Tales, which is mostly pulp reprints, but he asked me to do a Burroughs article, which I hadn't done any of in God, more than a quarter of a century. And I remembered that thing of John's, and I kind of took off from there to... To, to expand upon it somewhat. I, I can't remember the name of the article. but And, and at this time, you would have been, like, what age? Range? Well, I was born in, in 1942, so okay. I joined Herbdom staff when I was 20. Okay. And I was probably totally out of Burroughs fandom less than seven or eight years later. Uh, okay. I... I was a pro then, and I just started spending more time with, you, with you people had already, who You had already sold your first novel by, by then? Oh, well, I'd first? sold my first novel at 20, but it wasn't one I was willing to put my name onto. Right. I sold a couple of Burroughs pastiches to Don Grant and then to Warner's Library. Uh, I think it was called Paperback Library, then the Ganymede books. Mm -hmm. uh, I find them humiliating. I hate it when people bring them up to me to autograph. Now, I will say that they're very good Burroughs imitations. Mm -hmm. Uh, but they're horrible Resnick books. Mm -hmm. uh, what I write is nothing like what I was writing then, and I, I wince a little every time I have to autograph them. Mm -hmm. But unlike, say, Harlan Ellison, who when you bring him one of his old books, rips it up, yeah. I will sign it. I just would rather nobody ever remembered yeah. it. And, I mean, you actually had, had written pure Burroughs fan fiction. Wasn't there a story of Lost Sea of Mars? Oh, yeah. I did one called The Forgotten Sea of Forgotten Mars. Sea of Mars. Uh, that yeah. came out. It came out the year it won the Hugo. That was part of the reasons it won, too. They gave it away for free. Mm -hmm. It was about a 30,000-word sequel to Land of Gethel. And uh, I later uh, took most of the plot and most of the characters, changed their names, and made it half of that first Ganymede book. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, I mean, you were doing, then, what fans do now. I mean, to me, there's no reason for you to be embarrassed or, or not well, like that. I, That's, I, you, were, you were being a fan. Well, I, what I was doing was trying to write stories that if you found them in Burroughs' safe, you would have thought he wrote them, yeah. which meant there was nothing original, creative, or uniquely myself in any of them. Right. And uh, as I say, I've become, you know, as you pointed out, and I'll say him honestly, a major writer in this field for writing Resnick stories, not right. for writing Burroughs stories. And I, I find those uh, a little humiliating to sign that that I once thought that was uh, something I should do professionally. I never minded, you know, signing or, or seeing Forgotten Sea of Mars or any of my fanzine articles, but I, I should never have sold those professionally. Mm -hmm. um, even at that time, did you? Was it your intention to be a writer? I mean, did oh, you I was a writer at that time. I sold my yeah. first story at 15, and as I say, by yeah. 20, I was a full-time writer. Yeah. I just wasn't writing science fiction. Right. 
uh, one of the things was I could grind out an adult novel, as we called them back then, euphemistically, in four days, and it would take about five months to write a good science fiction book, and they paid the same. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had a new wife, and shortly thereafter a new daughter, and I couldn't afford to take five months to write for coolie wages. Just recently, in, in the last few years, you wrote the introduction to the uh, the Lamb That Time Forgot. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the University of Nebraska. Nebraska Press, you know, just out of the blue. I didn't know anybody there. Uh, contacted me and asked me to write an introduction to it, and uh, I did. Did they know of you? They must have known of you. Well, yeah, they must, somebody must have recommended me because I've really been totally out of Burroughs' fandom and yeah. Burroughs' everything for 30 years. Yeah. And uh, they asked me to write an introduction to it, so I did. And then this year they asked me to write an introduction to Phil Farmer's uh, Tarzan Alive, which they republished. Oh, really? okay. And I wrote that too. Of course, I know Phil, but yeah. uh, it was really about Burroughs. Yeah. And I've borrowed Burroughs a bit uh, from time to time in my fiction. Or not borrowed, that's the wrong way to put it. I've used him as a jumping off point. I had a Hugo-nominated story two years ago called A Princess of Earth, yeah. which you know you don't have to have read Burroughs to have liked it and voted for the Hugo, but it helped. Yeah. And uh, a few years back, there was a uh, an anthology, uh, damn if I can remember the name of it now, they were all stories set in the solar system, and uh, I collaborated with uh, another Hugo-nominated writer called Shane Bell, uh, called The Flower Children of Barsoom. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, that's a we we thought, what if you went to Mars, and that was really the case, that you know there was a John Carter. Yeah. But what if... Space travel was really cheap, and instead of heroic astronauts, what you really found there, along with John Carter, were a bunch of flower children who thought he was kind of silly. Uh, that you know, you, you, you throw love at people instead of uh, long swords. Yeah. And it, it was a tongue-in-cheek article, uh, yeah. story, but we sold it. And uh, I'm sure over the years, I've, I've probably done a couple of others. I know that my favorite character is a, a parody uh, character called Lucifer Jones. He He's been in three books. Uh, adventures. Favorite character of your own. Yeah. yeah, adventures, exploits, and encounters. Each of them is set on a different continent back in the 1920s and 30s, and and parodies every bad movie and pulp story set on that continent. And then the one that was in Africa, there was a chapter in which uh, Lord Bloomstoke, I borrowed the name from Edgar, was uh, was a British lord who was hiding from his creditors in the middle of the jungle with a tribe of apes that he was converting to Fabian socialism. Right. Uh, one of the things I remembered was he called them all George to show that the, the group was more important than the individual. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. And as I say, here and there, I'm sure I've, I've uh, borrowed a few lines, few notions right. uh, from Burroughs. Yeah, I, but I wonder if but I've ever, written so yeah, much, it's yeah. hard to remember. I'm, I'm not senile yet, I'm just productive. And I must tell you, in all honesty, that I had never heard the word podcast until that day. I had no idea what it is. To this day, I don't know how to download it from, from my computer.